Welcome to Streams from the River, the podcast from the River Church RVA with pastor-teacher Michael Kraft. I know you'll be blessed by the teaching today, so open your hearts and let's get straight into today's message. So anyhow, we've been talking, um, this is the sixth week that we have been talking about connecting with the Holy Spirit, all right? We've, we've taken time, and I don't have time to review really much of it, but it's all on, it's all on our website. You can find it on Facebook or YouTube. Um, but it's important for us to come to a place where we understand just absolutely how vital it is for us to connect with the person of the Holy Spirit, all right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we've studied and that we, we can talk about, but we don't always connect with. How many of you know connections make a difference, all right? Connections make a difference. And when you're connected with Almighty God, when you're connected in relationship with Jesus Christ, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in you and through you, that's a divine connection, isn't it? And when you're connected with Almighty God and you're seeing those divine connections, then you're living in the realm of the supernatural. You're living in the realm of the miraculous, all right? And I believe that in the church, we should come to a place where the supernatural is just natural. There should be something different about the way that we live our lives that is supernatural. I'm tired of living a Christian life that's just natural, you know, where the only difference between me and somebody else is I can quote some Bible verses. Amen. There should be something radically different about the way that we live and conduct our lives so that when the world looks at you and the world looks at me, they see a representation of Jesus. Amen. We're the only Jesus that the world's going to see. Jesus is coming again, but when he comes again, there's supposed to be a bride that's ready. There's supposed to be a community that has been reached with the gospel. Amen. And my prayer is that I can make that clear on some levels here this morning, all right? So we're going to take a little bit different track. I thought we were going to get into Pentecost this morning, but in my spirit, I just couldn't kind of let loose a little bit from where I was last week. And so we're going to kind of go a little bit in a different vein, kind of look at this diamond from a little bit different facet, all right? So in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist is speaking about Jesus And he says, I am baptizing you with water. But he, this is speaking of Jesus, this is what he's speaking during Jesus' baptism, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I got messed up a little bit this week with prepositions. I was never good with English, even when I was in school, all right? And so in the Greek, this word with can also be translated in. And so as we go through this, I don't understand it all. But when I say in the Holy Spirit, it's with the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, I don't want to get caught up on prepositions this morning. So John baptized with water But the one who came after him, Jesus, came to baptize us in or with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, that is 
it is to your advantage. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right? Listen, if I had the choice or if you had the choice of having the physical person, the physical body of Jesus here in our midst, or me, (laughs) I don't even know if it's safe to say that, what would you choose? Well, amen. Right. Any, any day. But can I tell you, Jesus said that it's more advantageous for you that I go. Because you see, when Jesus was on the earth, the Holy Spirit was confined in one person. But when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood for the redemption of our souls, we were able to become new creations And the same spirit that Jesus was baptized, we are now baptized with. You see, it's not just a matter of one person representing the Father God on the earth. We now have an entire army, all right, of individuals who receive Jesus Christ, who now are candidates to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you see God's plan in this? All right. So it's to our advantage that he goes. What's the advantage? The advantage is this, that the one who was with them will now be in you. Okay? The one who was with them in Jesus would now be the one who is in you. That means you, all right? And you. It means each and every one of us, all right? When you're born again, the Holy Spirit, we saw this last week, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Remember, we talked about in baptism, it takes three elements. Does anybody remember what they are? Okay. There we go. Okay. Baptism requires one, an administrator, all right, the person who is doing the baptizing. Okay. It also requires a recipient the person who's on the receiving end of the baptism, right? And then there has to be an element that you're baptized into or an element that you're baptized with that brings about change, all right? So when you're born again, this is kind of review, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, for by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, all right? So Jesus came to baptize, or he came to to open the door through his blood so that the Holy Spirit could come and administrate a baptism of you and I where? Into the body of Christ. All right? Am I making any sense this morning? A little bit? Okay. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spiritual drink. So when you and I receive this baptism, that it's administered by the Holy Spirit, something miraculous takes place. It's really similar to Jesus when he was conceived in the womb of Mary, all right? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that, that Jesus, well, let me just go there because I can't think this morning. 
Mm. Well, I didn't even write down the same verse. Oh, I believe it's Philippians chapter 2. Yes. Okay, yeah, chapter 2. Verse 7, but he, speaking of Jesus, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So Jesus left his glory in heaven. How many of you, what do you think of a king who leaves his throne? How many kings do you know that have left their throne? Not too many, just one, right? Jesus left his throne at the right hand of the Father, and he emptied himself, and he came and took upon himself the appearance and the form of a man. When did that happen? It happened when he was conceived in the womb of Mary, you see? And this is a, is a type and a picture for us of what this baptism into the body of Christ looks like. Because it says in um, Luke chapter 1, speaks of the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is, is uh, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Of course, Mary says, how can this be? And the angel gives an answer, and then Mary says in verse 38, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. You see, when you open up your heart and you say, Be it done unto me according to your word. When you say, Lord, I receive you. You are my Lord. You are my king. There's a, a, mirac there's a miracle that takes place, all right? And we're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. We become new creations, and the old sin nature is destroyed, and we become partakers of the divine nature, all right? In Second Peter, it says that we've been given exceeding great and precious promises that by them we might become partakers of the divine nature, all right? And that's not, not something spooky, spiritual, or anything like that. It's just that we've gone from being having a nature that is bent against the things of God, to, to receiving, like we said, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to shed or to pour out the love of God into our hearts. That same Spirit whereby which we cry out, Abba, Father, all right? So when we open up our heart and we, we receive Him, something miraculous takes place. Your Spirit is born again. Your Spirit is born again. Your soul and your body, well, they need to kind of catch up. Romans 12 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if we had stinking thinking before we got saved and you prayed and you accepted Jesus as Lord, you probably still have some stinking thinking going on. We need to change the way we think. If you had, you know, issues going on in your body, well, you probably still had those same issues going on after you got saved, but... You become a new creation. Something at the very core, the very center of who you are changed. Something, something miraculous took place, and you and I were brought back into a union, back into a relationship with God that never existed before, all right? 
where the only thing that we could draw upon before we were saved was our own strength and our own power. Now we've got the power of the universe resident on the inside of us. That should make a difference, shouldn't it? All right. So the purpose of the new birth, the purpose of, of this first baptism where we're administrated by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ causes you and I to become a new creation, right? It's a brand new birth. It's a new union between God and man. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation right? So we are baptized into Christ. A new creation reality is that you are a new creation. We didn't just get born again to go to heaven. We received Christ so that heaven could come back into us, all right? And that should make a difference in our lives. So we need to learn how to abide in him. We need to learn how to live our life where we're constantly dwelling, constantly conscious and aware of his presence in our lives, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. It might be easy on a Sunday morning when we're all gathered together and we're singing songs and we're, we're looking at the scriptures to, to find that place where we're acknowledging God in every area of our lives. But how well does that work for you on Monday morning when you're heading out to the office or when you get to Wednesday? you know, and you're just halfway through and you're saying, oh Lord, do I have what it takes to make it through the week? All right. Our, it's, it's in those times, it's in those places that we need to cultivate our relationship. You see, Jesus didn't come just so that we could get born again. He came to restore a relationship, a relationship between you and Almighty God. And that relationship requires some cultivation on our part, right? In John chapter 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bring forth fruit. How many of you want to have fruit? How many of you know it's a two-way street? We have to abide in him even as he abides in us. I thought of an analogy one time because, you know, you kind of say that and it kind of sounds like you're saying the same thing, but you're really not. If we used air as an example, how many of you know that there's a difference between you abiding in the air and the air abiding in you? All right. Where are you if you are abiding in the air, but there is no air in you? Okay, you can drive by the cemetery and find a lot of people who resemble that. All right. What happens if, if you're not in the air, you're not abiding in the air, but there's air in you? You've just had your last breath. <laughs> Enjoy it. And I'd say, say a prayer. <laughs> so how many of you know that, that it takes both? We've got to abide in the air and the air has to abide in us. That's how life takes place, right? We've got to abide in him even as he abides in us. That's how we bring forth fruit. If he's abiding in us, but we're not abiding in him, what does that lead to? To me, that, that kind of leads to a frustrated Christian life. Okay, so we need to abide in him. When we abide in him, we'll bring forth fruit. What's the fruit that we're, you're going to see as a born-again Christian? I believe that one of the primary fruits that we begin to see right away is the development of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you are flowing in those all of the time, 24-7 in your life? Amen? You, want, you need to understand that these are available to you because of the new birth, because of the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, because of the new creation that you are in Christ. But remember that what we're talking about here is the fruit of the Spirit. Whose fruit is it? It's the Spirit's fruit. It's like if I were going to, you know, if, if I needed Fred to go get something for me, and I said, Fred, would you mind running down to the 7-Eleven in the truck of Mike? Would you mind taking the truck of Mike down and picking something up there at 7-Eleven? What am I saying? I'm really talking about my truck. It's not Fred's truck. It's the truck of Mike. All right? So the fruit of the Spirit that we just mentioned, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit's fruit. Where does the Spirit reside? In you, all right? Is that fruit available to you all of the time? Why? Because he abides, right? So what happens if you don't feel patient? What happens if you don't feel kind? What if you, you just feel like erupting? You know? What if you, you feel like you just need to let it all out? You know, you have no self-control. Do you have a choice in those moments to, of where, my question would be, in those moments, where are you abiding? Where are you abiding? All right? If you're abiding in the flesh, guess what you get? There you go. But if you're abiding in the Spirit, what are you going to get? Okay. What, what does the Bible say that we're to do? We are to crucify the flesh so that we can walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> if you wait, if you think you're waiting until that the day's going to come for your flesh to just lay down, and all of a sudden you're just going to be overwhelmed with this euphoric love and joy <laughs> and peace. Lord, this is what I've been waiting for. Hallelujah. Finally, it's let loose. Yeah, yeah, you won't be abiding in this atmosphere, that's for sure. But I think sometimes that's the way that we think. You know, it sounds silly when you hear it. But do you know in the moment of your greatest need, in that moment where you need to, to, to have an experience with the love of God and the joy of God and the peace of God that passes understanding, in those moments, you've got to crucify something called the flesh. You've got to choose. You've got to know that you've got something on the inside of you that you don't think that you have, and it's not even yours. It's the Spirit's fruit. Why do we keep trying to produce patience when we need to draw on the patience that's been deposited in us by the Holy Spirit? You can't feel it until you surrender to it. You'll never experience it until you surrender to it. In those moments where everything is raging against you and you really want to be in the flesh, 
or maybe or maybe not, I'm not sure. In those moments, you have to make a quality decision. Where are you? Who abides in you? Does he leave? Uh-oh, Andrea's in a bad mood. I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, does the Holy Spirit leave when we get in a bad mood? But who leaves? Who moves? We do. What do we do? We get in the flesh. So he's abiding in us, but we're not abiding in him. This isn't in my notes anywhere. Okay? So in those moments, you need to realize that you are crucified with Christ. And it is no longer you who live. So tell your flesh to shut up. All right? It is no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, how do I live? I live by my emotions. I live by my feelings. I react to every circumstance and everything that's happening around me, right? Unfortunately. Sometimes. Sometimes. But you see, that's why the Bible says in 1 Peter, it says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow. They may grow. If, you know, we've got a little fitness center next right behind the wall over here. And I've been working out with my personal trainer for three years now, having gained a pound. <laughs> but there has to be a beginning, a place of beginnings. And when you first start something, how many of you know that sometimes the flesh rebels? The flesh doesn't want to die, you know? But the more I exercise in my flesh, stronger my flesh gets, right? How many of you know that we need to learn to work out in our spirit? We need to learn how to work out and build ourselves up in the spirit. That's why Jude verse 20 says that we're to build ourselves up praying in the Holy Spirit, okay? Because it's only in the Spirit, as we abide in Him and He abides in us, that we find that supernatural ability of God rising up on the inside of us. And we find that there's this dunamis, dynamite power that's available so that we can do what we can't do in the natural. All right? It's, you, you, you're not going to just be able to connect the dots and logically say, well, this is the way it's supposed to happen. God's got to work it in you, and it's all about relationship. It's not about formulas or seven steps to the 48 ways to get to the, you know, this promise or that. It's all, uh, it, this is a one-step program, all right? It's a one-step program, and the one step is abiding. It's abiding. It's relationship. Gosh, I just, if we could just get that, you know what I'm saying? Even when, when, when we talk about releasing our faith, really, that faith is a result of abiding. Because the Bible tells us that faith works by love. Love is a result of relationship, right? If you don't have relationship, you could have every scripture memorized in the entire word of God. You could quote every promise that there is. And you might think that you have faith, but what you really have is the knowledge of faith. Because true faith is always born out of relationship. True faith is always a natural expression of our love. You don't have to work up your faith. You need to develop your relationship. 
You develop your relationship and you'll have all the faith that you need. I promise you, all right? I don't even know where to go from here. (laughs) Oh, boy. Go where the truck leads, right? We were talking about my truck. I looked at my notes. I saw my truck. (laughs) Do you know what the key is that starts the engine on that truck? It's our faith. I mean, if you, if you want to go back there, if you, if you can find your way back there. The key that turns on the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is really our faith working by love, developed out of relationship with God. I'm going to go really fast because I don't want to take another week. I want to go someplace else. Um, there's some things that you need to understand that you have as a result of your relationship in him, of this baptism by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. There are some realities that you need to know and understand, okay? And I'm just going to go over this real quick. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says that in him we have forgiveness of sin, all right? So because we are in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. And not just the sins that you've committed up until the time that you accepted Christ as your Savior. All of our sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with on the cross. All right? How many of your sins were future when Jesus was on the cross? All of them. Okay? Some of them may be in the background now, but all of them were future. And so they've all been dealt with. 100%, all right? And so in him, we have forgiveness of sin, not only the forgiveness of sin, but also the forgiveness of the effects of sin. Sin brings about death, right? And I, I like the parable that Jesus gave when he was talking to the paralytic, and he came up to him and he said simply, listen, you're... He said, your sins are forgiven. I don't know whether that's my fault or not. But he said, your sins are forgiven. And they thought he blasphemed, you know, because they believed that if you had sickness in your body, that it was a result of sin. Sins that you commit, they didn't really understand the sin nature that we have. And so Jesus said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk, but so that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise and walk. Guess what the dude did? He got up and walked, (laughs) all right? So forgiveness of sins not only deals with the offenses that we've committed or not committed, but it also deals with the effects of sin. There's healing in the atonement. All right, that's a part of forgiveness. Marching in. (laughs) Try to make the most of the moment, right? (laughs) It did. It sounded like a cadence, you know, that... Somebody's coming in. But how many of you know that when you move, an army moves with you? All right. When you move, an army moves with you. That's good to know. All right. In him, 
2 Corinthians 5.21 is, we are the righteousness of God in him. See, these are things that we possess just as a result of our relationship, this first baptism, all right? I'm just going to throw out some scriptures. You can look them up if you want. Ephesians 1.3 says that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in him, that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him, 2 Corinthians 1.20. And in him you were made complete, Colossians 2 verse 10. One of my favorites, though, is in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where it says that in him there is now for no condemnation. All right? How many of you feel like you live your life, if you look at some of the things that have happened, that you feel guilt, condemnation, or shame? I had the opportunity to minister to somebody just a couple of days ago, and they knew the Lord had been walking with the Lord for some time. But how many of you know things happen in our lives that we regret? And sometimes we allow ourselves to be defined by the failures of our life. Jesus came so that we could be free from that. We no longer are defined by what we've done. We're defined by what he's done. All right. And the Bible says there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, guilt says that I'm not forgiven. Condemnation says, I deserve to be judged. And shame says, I am my sin. All right? But there's no condemnation in Christ. And so do you realize this? If the blood of Jesus was enough to cover your sin, if we allow our past to become greater than the blood of Jesus, and we're holding on to guilt, condemnation, and shame in our life, what we're really saying is, Jesus, your blood wasn't enough. We're saying that it wasn't enough. And really, can I just really be frank with you this morning? It's really a form of pride. It's really a form of pride that says, I need to beat myself up. I'm going to allow this failure, this whatever it is that happened in, in your life or mine, to define me and not allow the blood of Jesus, to cleanse you from that. Now, has he forgiven you? Yeah. But like I said, sometimes how we think upstairs here needs to be transformed. And you and I, we need a revelation that there is no more condemnation if you are in Christ. Yay. All right? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There is a rest for the people of God. There is a rest that's in him. He said, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You see? And so some of us, we just need to humble ourselves under the hand of God, humble ourselves under who Christ is and know, like we sang the song earlier, that you're the only one who really matters. You're the only one who really matters. And God wants to wipe away all of that guilt, all that condemnation, and all of that shame. You've been holding on to it for a long, long time. But you know what? He dealt with it 2,000 years ago, and it's time for you to let loose. It's time for you to let go. It's time for you to be set free. 
And this is all a part of just being baptized into the body of Christ. Isn't that wild? We haven't even got into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole nother area. I'm going to see if I can say one or two things, and maybe the Lord will let me wrap this up. You know, all of the... All of the opportunities that we have, all of the privileges that we have in Christ are wonderful, aren't they? They bring us into a relationship, restore righteousness, forgiveness, no condemnation, all of that. Is that enough? Is that enough for you and your Christian life? It is for me in a lot of ways. But you know that God still has a plan. He brought you into relationship, and if all that he cared about was just you and just me, then the best thing that could happen is that we would have our own personal rapture right after we got born again, right? But the thing is, is that God still loves the world, John three sixteen. He still loves the world. He still loves our community. He still loves every lost person that you and I know. He still loves them, and he left us here with a mission, all right? And that's to reach those individuals. I like to say this, that he saved you and left you here because he loves someone else, all right? He loves someone else, too. So there's something else that we need outside of all of the um, the gifts, all of the blessings that we have in Christ, there's something else that we need, and that's power in our lives. We need power. Look, if you will, just real briefly at uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus, after his resurrection, speaking to the disciples, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city. One translation says you're to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power clothed with power from on high. In Acts chapter 1, he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Down to verse 8, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my what? witnesses. You will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. So once we are born again and all of the in Christ realities become a reality in you, your life and mine, you and I have a call and we need to be empowered to fulfill that call. We need the baptism 
in or of or with the Holy Spirit. We need the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, right? And so the, the result of this baptism that Jesus was speaking of was an endowment of power, all right? And this is something that we've got to understand. You see, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not just about tongues. As a matter of fact, the disciples had no idea. They had no idea what was going to take place on the day of Pentecost. But what they knew is that Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be endued with power. There's going to be a, a capacity. There's going to be an endowment. You know, there's going to be an ability that comes from God. And it's, we'll look at it hopefully next week and see what that looks like. But, but the focus is not on, and this is something that, a problem that we run into, particularly in charismatic or Pentecostal circles, is we equate the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues first. And it's not about tongues first. It's about empowerment. It's about empowerment to be a witness. If you and I aren't committed to living our lives in such a way that it's a wit that we are going to be a witness, <laughs> you don't need the Holy Spirit, all right? You can develop enough fruit and relationship and all of the in-him realities that we talked about. But this baptism by Jesus, the one that Jesus administers to us into the person of the Holy Spirit, is a baptism whose purpose is to endue us with power to become witnesses. Not to do witnessing, but to be a witness. How many of you know there's a difference? When I was in school, we used to go out and do a lot of witnessing, and it was good. But what were you doing when you weren't witnessing? <laughs> what kind of witness were you at work or with your family? You see, the baptism in the Holy Spirit by Jesus was given to empower us to be a witness. Where do we need to be a witness more than any place else? In our homes. In our homes, in our workplace. What good is it if we go to church we lift our hands and we're a witness, or let's say we're going to go out and we're going to, you know, demonstrate the love of God in our community. We're going to go out and pray for the sick. And you can go out and you can experience the greatest anointing that you've ever experienced. What good is that if you come home and all you do is argue and, you know, your relationships aren't right? What kind of witness is that? So the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be a witness 24-7 when you feel like it and when you don't. Okay. because we're to abide in him, even as he abides in us, all right? So I want to look at one last thing here, just for a quick moment, because after we got done um, sharing last Sunday, I went home, and on Monday, I, I looked at a scripture, and God opened it up in a way that I never saw it before. It was so exciting to me. Remember, we were talking about baptisms and how the first baptism, when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, that as a result of the forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit was released to administer us and to baptize us into the body of Christ. Jesus came and he said, you need to be endued with power so that you can be my witnesses, okay? So we see the Holy Spirit baptizing us into Christ. We see Jesus baptizing us into the Holy Spirit for an endowment of power to be a witness guess what? There's another baptism, and I didn't see it until Monday. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 28. I never saw this in the, in the light of what we were talking about. 
Jesus came to the disciples one last time and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, in this verse, do you see the three elements that we talked about for baptism? In this great commission, who are the individuals that are to administer this baptism? We are. We are. You are. In the same way that the Holy Spirit brought a baptism, in the same way that Jesus brought a baptism, you and I are called to bring a baptism as well. We're to administer a baptism to who? to the nations, right? We are to go and to baptize all the nations, or we're to go into all the nations, baptizing them. Who? Them. The nations. What is the element that we're baptizing them into? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right? What does a name represent? A name represents identity. A name represents character. A name represents the person in whose name that you're being baptized. So you and I, we've got a purpose in this life. Maybe you didn't know what it was. Maybe you thought that coming to Christ and being born again, now it's just, you know, it's just me and the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father. Us four and no more. And that's all that it takes. And I'm a happy camper. All right. I hope this morning that your world just got way big, way big. You and I have been commissioned to baptize the nations. We've been commissioned, and we can't do that in our own strength. We need to first be baptized into Christ. Then we've got to receive that empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Now we're ready. Do you understand why Jesus said, hey, listen, you're not ready yet. You need to wait 10 days between his ascension and, and the day of Pentecost. You need to wait until you're endued with power. When you're endued with power, you are going to be my witnesses. And guess what happened on the day of Pentecost? They received the baptism in with of the Holy Spirit. Can I just say one and you all kind of catch where I'm going? <laughs> okay. They received the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Immediately they went out and they were witnesses, proclaimed the good news of the gospel, and 3,000 individuals in the nations were baptized. And they all weren't Jews either. And that was just the beginning. That was just the birth of the church. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and God's commissioning us again. He's commissioning you and I today. Listen, we can't go out into the community any longer and just thank God that I'm saved. Because when you receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, when you see individuals who don't know the Lord, my prayer is that you're moved with compassion. 
My prayer is that we're moved with, instead of going around and judging every individual for what they're doing or what they're not doing, and if they got saved and if they got things right, things would be different. Listen, that's not the way that Jesus approached people, did he? We need to have a new lens to see our community through. And this baptism will empower us to be conduits of the Father's love in the community in which we live. And it's not, it's not anything that you can work up on your own. It's all birthed out of relationship. You see, when we cultivate that abiding, abiding in him, even as he abides in us, man, this, this baptism takes hold, you know. And then we're in a position to launch out into the nations. This is why God left us here, <laughs> to be witnesses. Think about where you work. Think about the contacts that you have. Are you just there because that's where God has you to make provision for your family? Is it just about that? I mean, it, some people think that way. And in, unless you have a revelation of what God's doing, you, you don't know that God has supernaturally and divinely appointed you to the time and the place where you are. So don't work so hard about getting out of it. Bloom where you're planted, <laughs> all right? Bloom where you're planted. But you can't do it alone. You need a baptism. We need the power that comes from Almighty God, all right? So next week, bless God, I did a really, really quick, you know, overview. But we got some, most of it last week, didn't we? And if not, you can go back and, and you can listen to it. Thanks for listening to Streams from the River from the River Church RVA in Chester, Virginia. If you've been blessed by the message and would like to connect deeper with the River Church RVA, please visit our website at riverchurchrva.com. Or you can send us an email, share your testimonies, prayer requests, or general correspondence to family at riverchurchrva.com. Again, that's family at riverchurchrva.com. Have a blessed day, and we look forward to being with you again next time right here on Streams from the River.